theme for this year is Christ is better. I'm really loving this theme. Um, and as we're, we're going through the Gospel of John and getting to know Christ a little bit better, one verse at a time, one chapter at a time, we find ourselves in a section where Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Last week we talked about how Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all gathered together after he's, after he's been raised from the dead. And we were talking about how Martha, who once struggled with the idea of serving, um, remember from Luke, she's serving and, and her, uh, her sister was enjoying fellowship with Jesus and she's all just kind of enraged. Have you ever found yourself doing something good, right? And then other people are not doing what you're doing. You, like you come to a church work day and someone's drinking lemonade and you're working, you know? <laughs> And you're like, wait a second. Uh, well, Martha, because she had a kind of an, an off-kilter motive, she was serving to get something where uh, her sister was enjoying all that she had when she had Christ. And so she was fellowshipping with Jesus where Martha was, it said, distracted, preoccupied. Uh, she was cumbered about, cumbersome, you know, like if you're just dragging a weight. Um, she was cumbered, distracted, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, and all from just not knowing her identity in Christ and who Christ is. And so her brother dies, he's in the tomb four days, Jesus comes, raises him from the dead, and he had this discussion before he raised him from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So you cannot give what you do not have. If you asked me for $100, I can't give it to you if I don't have it. If you ask Jesus for eternal life, he can't give you eternal life if he doesn't have it. Not only does he have it, he is it. He is that life. So he gives, he gives life to the dead. He raises the dead. Lazarus comes back. Now they're having a meal in, in verses 1 through 8 in John chapter 12. And you see Mary, or Martha, back at it again with her type A personality. I don't know if it's like the, the dynamics of the siblings, you know, you have one wild child or one free spirit, and you have one that's like real dutiful, and I, I don't know their family dynamics, but here she is back at serving again. But at this time, Lazarus is hanging out with Jesus, the same thing her sister was doing before, but now she's not bent out of shape. She's still serving, but now she's serving from life. She's not serving to get life. Now she's serving from being accepted in Christ. She's not serving to try to get acceptance from Christ or her peers, or in this case, her siblings. And that made a whole lot of sense to me because Jesus doesn't, it wasn't the activity that was the wrong thing. Her service wasn't the wrong thing. It was her motive for why she was doing. So you have this kind of, this before the, her brother, like pre Lazarus, and then you have post-Lazarus. And you, you have the same activity, but a di totally different uh, concept of the identity. So that's where we were the last time. Today, we're going to cover a large chunk of Scripture, but mainly focus in on verses 20 through um, 26. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 12, verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to, de to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So they wanted to cancel him, right? Get rid of him. It's affecting our narrative and our control. It says, because the reason many of, the, many of the Jews left and they believed on Jesus. So there's this loss versus gain. So they were losing constituents, but what did the Jews have to gain? The Jews that believed on Jesus, what they had to gain was um, a relationship with Jesus, the promise of forgiveness of sins, and eternal life with Christ. What they lost was all the, the rules and the regulation, but keep this in mind, if you were a Jew accepting Jesus, and you were kicked out of the synagogue, being kicked out of the synagogue was equivalent to job security. So there was a lot at stake when you followed Jesus and you believed in Jesus. 
On the next day, verse 12, much people were come to the feast, and when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees. Right, you, this, We're coming up to Easter. This is a familiar uh, section of Scripture. And they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found the... Forgive me, I'm just reading straight from the Bible. Okay, <laughs> When he had found a young ass, sat thereon, a donkey, um, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes, sitting on a, a donkey's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and they had done these things unto him. Remember Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. When I go away, I will come unto you. And he says, this is in John, we're going to get there, in John uh, 14, 15, and 16, and he says, but when the Holy Spirit has come, he will bring all these things to your remembrance. The people, therefore, that was uh, with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bore record of this. For this cause the people also met him, for they that heard him had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, perceive all of you how all of you prevail nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone after him. Jesus is going viral. And the, and the religious elite wanted to squelch this sort of viral movement and trend towards Jesus. Verse 20. And there were certain Greeks or Gentiles among them. Basically, there's three groups of people. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, those who are not Jews, and then there's the church made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Interesting. The same came for to Philip, uh, we read about him in John chapter 1, where he was first introduced, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Isn't that a great st- statement? We just want to see Jesus. If you could just strip it down to its essence, we just want to see Jesus. We want to know the one who has life and gives life. I just want to see the Lord of life the one who was at the beginning but has no beginning, the one who's the uncreated creator of all things. I want to see that person. Wouldn't you? Yeah. And Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew tells Philip, uh, and Philip tells Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, and now he's going to use agriculture as an example of what he's going to do, Except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it. It's kind of a dialectic here, right, where there's two things. Um, and they, Like life comes out of death, and death comes out of preserving your life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. I love that. I love that. Wherever Jesus is, you may be also. And it's not about the place. It's about the person, obviously. But I love that. It gives me great hope. It gives me great comfort that the one who is life, the one who gives life, is saying, this life is not all there is. There's, there's a life everlasting, and you can have that and experience that throughout all time of eternity if you put your faith alone in Christ alone. And he says, that's it. Where I am, even when heaven and earth pass away, that's why I don't make a big deal about heaven, because when heaven and earth pass away, Jesus remains. And so I'm going, we're going to be with the person, Jesus. And he promises that to any and all. It's a whosoever. He's an equal opportunity savior. Dear Jesus, I pray that as you guide us this morning, that you, you just, uh, just bless and encourage us. I pray this in your name. Amen. So in John chapter 12, verses uh, 9 through 11, you see this plot to kill Lazarus. And I want to say this. Jesus is better than job security. Here they are not turning to Jesus because they, they have their religious system and they're familiar with it, right? They're they're kind of set in their religious ways. And though they only have the Old Testament, Jesus, when he rose from the dead in Luke 24, 
he opens the scriptures and he took them from Moses, the law of Moses, the Psalms and the prophets. And Jesus said, all these things are written concerning me. It's almost as if the author of the autobiography, Jesus shows up and he's saying, there I am, there I am, there, there, that's where I, I, that rock that was in the wilderness, that rock is Christ. That lamb that was slain for the Passover, that lamb was a picture of the lamb of God to come and take away the sin of the world. Uh, Isaiah 53, uh, the one who was despised and rejected and bruised and, and, and killed for our iniquities, that was me. And it's like Jesus could have pointed to any part of the scriptures and said, yeah, those were just types and shadows, but now the real person's here to reveal the Christ concealed in the Old Testament is the Christ revealed in the New Testament. And so um, all these Jews had was the Old Testament, but they could have been saved by faith through grace if they would have just seen that it was pointing to Jesus, but no. They wanted to hold on to tradition and religion and all of their extra-biblical things that they had been making up uh, along the way that then became almost like a superstitious or a superstition. You ever, you ever get that way, like break a mirror? Or <clears throat> I worked construction work for years, and if I held to that walking under the ladder bit, you know, <laughs> I would have had so much bad luck tallied up but these guys, in their mind, they were probably thinking, if I do X, Y, and Z, you know, bad things are going to happen. Um, and so they became, like, hopelessly addicted to their religious system and culture. And what they were really afraid of is that all the Jews were going to uh, believe in Lazarus uh, because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And what's his testimony? Yeah, like it was lights out for me. You know, I was dead, and Jesus raised me from the dead. And this had never been done before. It's never has been done before uh, or since. And so Jesus then, the, it's amazing to me, like, wouldn't you want to side with the one who's, who is life and gives life? Like, you're so addicted to religion that you're going to avoid having a relationship uh, with the Lord of life? That makes no sense. But their, their eyes were blinded. Their heart was hardened. And they weren't willing uh, to receive the truth that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. So I'm calling it cancel culture. They wanted, to, they wanted to silence the momentum and the synergy surrounded Jesus revealing himself as the resurrection and life. Cancel culture is not really a new phenomenon, right? When you want to control the narrative and there's contrary uh, information coming at you that doesn't support the narrative, we'll just cancel it. And if you're the predominant like, trendsetter or narrative writer, as the Jews were, and we're talking about the elite, so the Pharisees of their day, the religious elite, uh, the religious oligarchs, if you want to put it that way, um, and you feel like you're losing, you're losing your grip and your power and your control, well, just cancel them. Just cancel them. Right? Silence them. Because it's a contrary narrative to the one that they're pushing and promoting. And so you have their attempt to try to kill uh, Lazarus, and they wanted to kill Jesus. Now, verse 12. So this is the triumphal entry of Christ, verses 12 through 19. But I'm just going to look at verse 19, even though the verses will be up on the screen and we already read them. Verse 19, it says, Then the Pharisees said among themselves, Do you see how, that you, how you gain nothing? Behold, the world has gone after Jesus. Like I mentioned earlier, Jesus has gone viral. Right? He's just, uh, there's just so much momentum. There's so much synergy here. There's so much talk. And you got to think, like, if you're in a lifeless dead religion, that you have a relationship with rules written on rocks versus a, a living faith, this kind of this uh, uh, unorthodox uh, person who's making all of these claims about himself, like he's the high priest, and they're saying, wait a second, you didn't even come from the tribe of Levi. You're from a totally, completely different tribe. And Jesus is making all of these claims and all of these promises, and he's backing it up by all of these miracles the, the apex of which would have been raising Lazarus from the dead. And so they wanted to silence that because all the world and their thought 
uh, was going to turn from Judaism and turn to Jesus. What a crime. You would think that they would have supported that since they're reading the same book. You would think. What is it, pride? Pride? Is it blindness? My theory is the devil's not an atheist. I think he gets more mileage out of religion than he gets out of anything else. It's more like if you can't beat him, join him, but then distort the truth. It's almost like, um, you know, the devil in the garden. It's like 90% of what he said is accurate, 10% is poison. It's like snake venom. It's the same uh, ratio, you know? 90% protein, 10% poison. What's going to kill you? Not the protein, it's the poison. And I think the devil does that. He mixes and he tries to, you know, you can't beat him, join him. Just look, I mean, just look around the world. It's incurably religious. It's everywhere. But I think the motivating factor of these guys was fear. They were afraid that if they turned from Judaism and they turned to Jesus, they would lose their income, their power, their prestige, their position. Uh, they would lose. And so they had this emotion of fear, job security. I'm going to lose my job, even though it's the business of religion. That makes, that, that's kind of weird. And you know they were making money off it because of the way they were dealing with the people outside of the temple with their you know, illicit gains from uh, up upgrading the, the exchange rate on the currency and they're turning it into filthy lucre, which is like illicit gain, illegal, you know. It's like money laundering or, or whatever. So I want to bring this up. Um, God gave us emotions. Fear is a real emotion, and it can be good in times of crisis. I don't want to say don't ever have fear because... Uh, you, you can't avoid it. And it's a God-given thing, but it's almost like an engine light indicator, you know? And that only comes on all the time. If you ride with your engine light on all the time, that's not a good idea. You need to get it checked out. And the same thing, like, we don't want to cruise around if, like, at a 9 or a 10 on the fear meter. Fear, if it comes to you like, uh, you know, something's going to fall and you get out of the way or... Uh, you know, like someone's running a red light and you, and you have the green light still. You're, if you go through it, you're going to get T-boned. So yeah, apply the brakes. And so fear could be a very helpful emotion, but it's not helpful if we just make that our standard operating procedure. It's, it's not helpful if you're pinging out a 10 on the fear meter and living life that way. It gives you anxiety. Uh, it affects you physiologically. And so I want to bring this quote out by Jeannie Gibson. She says it about fear. Fear is best described as a strong emotion brought on by the expectation of something unpleasant or dangerous. Right? It's a moment. It's a crisis. But your whole life shouldn't be lived that way. Both faith and fear are strong beliefs, one for a good outcome, the other for a bad. Because fear is a type of faith, when fear comes in, it cancels or nullifies true or real faith. Faith brings hope. Fear brings despair. I was talking to someone in the handshaking time about um, some test results, and the doctor's not getting accurate information, and so they're kind of in a limbo phase. Have you ever been there? It's like waiting in the principal's office, right? You're just like, how do you feel when you're just waiting on results? That's not a very good place to be. But sometimes our fear of the unknown is sometimes more painful than the actual physical experience. So if you live on that fear spectrum, believing something that's not true or evidentiary or backed up by something empirical with real data and real results, but you just emotionally feel that way, that could be more torturous than the actual thing that your body's going through. Do you see what I'm saying? That's how powerful fear is. And furthermore, you could give yourself other physical issues if you live on a 9 or a 10 on the fear meter. So what God has to say to kind of counteract that, he has much to say, but I'm going to pull out a couple verses that are familiar to you. In Romans 8.15, he says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
But you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, terms of endearment, closeness, intimacy with God. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment, it says in 1 John 4.17 and 4.18. And it's directly related to God because if you always have this fear that God's going to make the chandelier fall on your head or pop your tires and and to, just to, you know, when you're driving down the freeway at 65 and potentially getting in an accident, but just to get your attention. Is that some weird sadistic view of God? Like he's just in heaven pulling wings off of flies. He's got his magnifying glass and he's, you know, he created the sun and he's just going to solar flare you or, or burn you. That, that is not healthy. God hasn't given us that type of, uh, of relational identity with himself. He wants to remove that fear and know that he's arms wide open. He's daddy. He's papa. He's that term of endearment. Um, uh, And he wants you to experience that. And love cancels out that fear. It gets rid of it. But if you operate on fear, it's a torment system. It's a consequential system. It's a conditional system. And you're like, he loves me, he loves me not. It's like musical chairs, you know? You never know when the music stops where you're going to be with God. And he doesn't want you to live in that condition because you'll never warm up to a a person that you think does not like you and does not love you, and you're never measuring up. He never wants you to have that relational identity with him. This one's very familiar. 2 Timothy, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. So as Christians, our new downloaded operating system is based on faith and not based off our old programming of fear. Brian, I don't know how this happens, but we end up talking about the same thing sometimes, but uh, Sunday school is great again. But I want you to see this kind of illustrated in this way. You know, you guys know the difference between hardware and software in the computer world? Hardware's the actual hardware, the computer, the actual device. Software is the information that you download or program into it, right? And so, go to the next slide, I believe. So if you think about it in this way, your software is your mind. And when I say your mind, I don't mean the organ called your brain, right? Your mind is different than your brain. Your brain, you could take it out and look at it in a laboratory. It's an organ. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tangible. Your mind is the seat of your emotions. It's where we think. It's where we feel. Um, it's our, the place of our will. You know, we say yes or no. Um, and so... What we're talking about here is programming, right? So your brain, um, and from birth, incidentally, you've, you've had implicit memories imprinted into your uh, brain as you've been neurologically developing uh, in your formative years, and you have explicit memories that, that you know. You have a left brain, you know, logic, right brain, uh, emotions. You, you have all of this stuff going on in your noggin, that's a scientific term for your, your head, <laughs> your noggin. So what's going on in your noggin? What are you putting in the hardware? What kind of software, what kind of updates are you getting? So tonight, is, I think tonight will be revelatory for a lot of people if you've not understood mass formation psychosis. It's very fascinating to me. Maybe not so much you, maybe you don't care, but... Um, uh, it's just interesting um, how, how people can receive information, believe it as true, and then behave accordingly, even when the information originally downloaded was false. So again, if you believe something that's inaccurate, you could respond in a way that's inaccurate. This is basic cognitive behavioral therapy, and we go over and over again, because it's so stinking biblical. As a person thinks in their heart, so is he. Uh, he. Solomon says to his son, my son, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Why is he saying guard? Guard your mind. Watch out for what you think. Because if you think and believe lies, 
You might change your whole trajectory and, and change your whole path in life based on misinformation. And like the last couple years, I don't know where you stand. You know, there's like Fox News people, there's CNN people. Um, I don't know where you stand on all that, but can we all agree, whether it's left-leaning news or right-leaning news, is, is there such a thing as false, false news, fake news? Is that a thing? Can people lie to other people? Maybe, perhaps on a large scale, yes, maybe, I don't know. I brought this up, I don't know how long ago, but um, they did a social media uh, deep dive, and I follow a guy called Tristan Harris. He's the founder of uh, the Institute for Humane Technology, and he is going over um, unhealthy discriminatory algorithms, and we're all run by algorithms, you know. You look on Netflix, and you're like, oh, that movie suggested? It's not someone sitting behind a computer that said Neil likes kung fu movies. It's based on, you know, it's based on your previous selections. So those are all algorithms. That's on a really small scale, but you know, the algorithms are on a large scale. So people that are really deep into the into the tech industry understand um, how algorithms uh, run. So we all need to be careful, basically, about what you know the garbage in, garbage out thing. What are we, what are we doing? That's why it's so important to fellowship organically with Christians. It's so important as iron sharpens iron to get with brothers and sisters, phone calls, uh, that would be the in-person first preferred method, a phone voice second preferred, text, email, third preferred, even before that would be written, um, handwritten. Um, so I wanna show you some familiar verses on Getting this update, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Conform to the world, mass formation psychosis. This was written 2,000 years ago. You don't think God knew about, you know, control and th thought police? <laughs> You don't think you knew about that? But God says to counteract that, not to be just antithetical for the, antith to be the antithesis sake, but to be the opposite of the world means to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when you got saved, you got a new spirit, you didn't get a new body, and you didn't get a new brain, and you didn't get a new soul. What you did get was a new spirit. That's where God is. But your mind, your psyche, which is the Greek word for soul, your soul is always being flooded. I, I call it like the ticker tape of your consciousness. It's always going. Sometimes it's good information. Sometimes it's bad information. And if you pause it and you take a bad information, you believe it, then you act on it. Um, it's always running. It's always running. It's always running. But your spirit, where God sits with you and he's communing with you, that's stable, that doesn't, need, that, you know, that doesn't need updating, but our mind, our soul, it constantly all over the place. It needs to be reminded of the truth. And then when, you're, when you hear the truth, guess what your spirit does? It pings up information and says, that's true, that's true. That's about Jesus. That's your true identity. That's who you are in Christ. You are righteous. You are accepted. You are going to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You know what your emotions do? No, nah, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel that righteous. I don't feel that godly. I don't feel holy. What, is it based on something you did? Who does God say that you are? You're either a saint or you ain't. And the Bible says 66 times, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. And he wants the churches to know who they are. And he says that right in the beginning of every letter. You are holy. That's why he says you could act that way if you know who you are, because your identity affects your activity. But if you don't believe it, well, I don't feel that way. I feel like a dirty, rotten, low-down, yellow-bellied, sap-sucking sinner. <laughs> then you're going to act accordingly. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm just saying, who are you based on who God says that you are? Not how you feel about who you are. Does that make sense? 
This is super important. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 should be on the screen. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should not walk from now on as other nations walk in the vanity of their mind. Look at that. In the vanity of their soul. Not their brain. The brain is like holding this immaterial part of you. So they're walking after the emptiness of their soul, having their understanding darkened. It's like they can't understand. They can't see. They have no light. They have no light from within. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They don't have a new spirit connected to God. For they, being past feeling, have given themselves up to lust, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And it's very difficult to expect um, the, the non-Christian community to act like Christians. I think that's such a foolish endeavor. Let's just get them to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop chewing, and stop, stop running with those. Like, why? They don't have the spirit. They don't have the, they don't have the software. They don't have the programming. They don't know. Right? Once they, get, once they receive Christ and then the Holy Spirit comes in, the lights turn on, and now their spirit or their understanding is not darkened, it's illuminated, and then they can make choices. And do Christians always make choices that look Christian? No. Sometimes Christians make very poor decisions that you would say, that doesn't look very Christian, that doesn't look very holy, that doesn't look very saintly, that doesn't look very godly. True, but does that mean that they're not? Like, if I stomp on the American flag and take the Constitution and shred it right in front of you, and you say, that doesn't look very patriotic or an American. True. And I would never do that. I love this country. I would never, ever do that. But if I did, you would question my patriotism. Would you not? Well, my, my activity doesn't change my natural-born identity. I was born in San Diego, California. I'm 100% American, bro. Right? <laughs> so... That's sometimes we get confused, right? When people don't act very Christian, it's like when someone doesn't act American, we think, well, that guy's not American. They are. They're just not acting like it. It's like when Christians don't do Christian things, they're just not acting that way. But that doesn't change their spiritual DNA if they've been born again and passed from death to life. Amen. So this is why church is so important for the Christian. Did I read all the verses? Well, I'm just going to skip down to the bottom. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. For you ought to put off the old and put on the new and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So hopefully you're getting some updates right now. You're getting some software updates. Right? So when we change the way we believe, we'll change the way we behave. When we walk by facts, when we walk by faith, we will not, be, we will not behave and believe based on fear. The religious elite is where we all started this. They were afraid of losing their power, their prestige, and their popularity. Jesus came so people could have life and have it life more abundantly, but they didn't want people to experience that. Jesus didn't come to give Moses 2.0, right, or just an update to the old system. He came to give us a whole new operating system. So Jesus was born king and lord at his miraculous virgin birth, and they were scared to death that he was going to rock their religious community. Jesus did not come to get anything. He came to give everything his whole life. Let's end on this. Um, John 12, 20 through 26. So the Gentiles come to seek Jesus. In this portion of scripture, though, Jesus is using agriculture to explain that he must die in order that others may live. So we also see that the Gentiles were not coming to seek out the plan of salvation, but the person of salvation. Look at John 12, 21. If it's not up on the screen, I'll just read it. Uh, they came to Philip, who was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Again, they weren't coming to seek a system, but the Savior they weren't coming to seek a teaching, but the teacher himself. They weren't trying to come to you know, change religions, but they were seeking the Redeemer. And they found it in the person of Christ, and the religious people were scared to death of Jesus. John 12, 24. I like this, this thought here. 
and I don't think I've ever gone over this verse from the church, but this verse meant a whole ton a lot um, uh, when, we, when my wife and I were missionaries. God used this verse to speak to me. But look at what he says. He said, John 12, 24, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So literally, this is about Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, and then three days later, rising from the dead, which is where we get the Easter holiday idea from. Oh, did you know um, Mel Gibson is coming out with a new movie called Resurrection? He did The Passion. Who saw The Passion? Who saw it twice? Really? <laughs> I, I'm like, one and done. I get it. That was brutal, right? And you're like, it's mostly about the crucifixion and like a little blurb at the end about the resurrection. And he got a lot of grief for that. But it was the highest grossing religious film of all time. 680-something million dollars. It beat the Titanic. It's beat, I don't know how many movies. You could fact check me or whatever. But it was a, like profitable movie with a powerful message. Well, I say all that to say he's coming up with a new release, and it's The Resurrection, and I can't wait. I think that's going to be phenomenal. He's a great director, by the way. Um, aren't the Oscars or Grammys going on today? Does anyone know? Let's pre-Oscar nominate him. Resurrection. <laughs> Boom. So this, he's using agriculture, talking about a seed falling in the ground and dying and then coming and then bringing forth life. And if it didn't do that, then it wouldn't bring forth life. And so we, we know the full scope of the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, right? So that's what it's literally about. How, we, how it could apply to us, though, is that some, what's, what's taking place is a kernel, a seed is falling into the ground. It's covered up with soil, weather, elements, suffocation, rotting. That outer kernel is, is decaying. It's, it's shedding off. It's, it's, it's going through this process. But then what's inside of it, the life, then takes root and it starts springing up and it starts to not only benefit the life that was contained in the seed, but now it's going to bring forth fruit and benefit many people uh, around it. So, how does this relate to us? A lot of times things need to die off. Bad habits, bad thinking, right? Sometimes an experience comes into life, and you see a loved one going through a really hard time, and we, we naturally want to rescue people from experience to things that maybe they need to go through before they could experience life. Maybe they need to experience some sort of decay, some sort of elimination of that outer shell so the inner life could come out. Does that make sense? Um, so to avoid this process, oftentimes with good intentions, we catch the seed before it falls into the ground so that the outer shell can die and that life can come from within, right? I mean, that's good intentions. You know this as parents. Like, if this was the seed and we see our kid, you know, we don't want them to go through hardships and we want to, like, want to rescue and save them. And I'm saying that's totally normal. But if, let's say, you weren't able to rescue and the seed does fall into the ground and then all of a sudden... There's like some decay going on or some, some falling off of some old things, some old ways, some old thinking, some old habits, some old things that were just not profitable. From that experience can come forth life, things that are profitable, and they can be rooted and grounded through that experience. Does that make sense? That's what I was saying. It meant a lot to me. Um, God really spoke to me through that. We often try hard at keeping the path of least resistance and trouble. This is normal, but if we lived in a bubble and always shield ourselves and others around us from experiencing real life, then we're preventing ourselves from experiencing the real life of Christ that could come out of it. You've heard the saying that smooth sailing does not make for good sailors. 
Who wants to go through a storm? Not me. But if you do, perhaps you'll be better on the other side. Now, I've said this before, but did did God remove Daniel from the lion's den or did God sit in the den with Daniel? He didn't remove him. He went through that experience. He calmed the storm in the den. Same book, Daniel, did he remove him from the, the three children from the fiery furnace? No, he was the fourth person in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were amazed. They're like, he didn't turn the flames or the heat down. They turned it up. And God turned up. He turned it up, right? He showed up. And he was in there with them. He didn't remove them from that experience. Instead, he joined them. Now, when Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood and he says, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. Did God remove the Son of God from that experience or did he go through it with him? See, and life came from that. Life came from that. And we could know that greater is he that is in you than he or whatever is in the world. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I think this quote's up there. If it's not, I'll read it. Peace is not the absence of trials and tribulations. Peace is the presence of Christ knowing that he's in you and with you. And so Christ is better than our tribulations. He says this, and we'll end here. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. As many of you already know, my lovely wife just experienced the loss of her grandmother like a week ago, a couple weeks ago, and then her mother the week after. Two people, instrumental in her life. And I thank you for your love and support uh, for her. Like, that's one thing to lose your grandmother, right? And um, I've had the privilege and honor to do most all of my grandparents' funerals. Um, And she lived in L.A., and her mom was raised there in L.A. and Burbank. but this is a great loss of two major important people in her life. Think about how important your, your, your grandpa is or your grandmother. Think of how important that relationship is. I was raised by a single mom, and the person that babysat me most often was my grandmother. You know, even, even with um, Timothy, he says he talks about the faith of his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And Jennifer, my wife, had the privilege. I had the privilege of marrying into a Christian family. My whole family's not Christian at the time. And then I married my wife. All of her family is Christian. My family, everyone's divorced. Her family, no one's divorced. It's like yin and yang. It was so opposite. And a lot of that, too, is like her mother and her grandmother was Eunice and Lois. Her mother is just a godly woman. Her grandmother... And think about the impact that has, too. Like, they're faithful in their marriage. They love their kids, their husbands, their church. Um, it, just, it just has so much impact on that nucleus, that, that familial constellation. It's just so impactful about two huge, important women of faith that love Jesus. Adam uh, would take care of Sandy, Jennifer's mom, and um, then the, towards the end there, she was really getting bad with dementia. But, you know, I want to tell you something about programming. <laughs> she had, this is probably not even from her brain. This is probably from her spirit, honestly. But Adam would say a lot of times, I didn't understand what she was saying, but she would just say, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, on a track. Praise the Lord, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, you know. And so... Um, it just what was in her was coming out of her, and it's just just a great testimony. If it were not for the confessed faith of her mom and her grandmother, this verse and many other verses would be no help. Um, the kids and I were out watching some live music in Seal Beach the other night, and uh, this one of Chloe's friends, 
And as we were there, and Noel was there too, uh, Chloe got a message on her phone saying, um, Taylor, the drummer from um, the Foo Fighters, had died. And I thought, wow, uh, that's interesting. And we don't really know all the details, but evidently he had a history of drug use. And, and you think about this, like, he's at the pinnacle, right? One of the greatest rock and roll bands of this generation and era. Just filling stadiums, just legacy status. And Dave Grohl, the founder, was used to be in Nirvana, right? He was the drummer in Nirvana. Anyways, so they're just a huge, impactful uh, mega band, super band. Um, and you have, you think about it, he's in his 50s, and he's the youngest of the band. And there's, um, they have kids and families, millions of dollars. Yet he's still to the point in his life, 50s, where it's just not worth it anymore. It's empty. He could have planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but he could have anything. Right? Just a multi, he's a megastar, a multimillionaire, and yet has no hope. Took his life or OD'd or whatever the case is, and everyone's sad. I want you to see that. So this guy, this multi-million, mega rock star versus, her grandma's name is Uni, by the way. Sandy and Uni. <laughs> I was going to say Lois and Eunice. Humble women, loved the women around them, had an impact on all of the people around them, prayed, loved the Lord faithful. When we do their funeral this coming week, um, it's going to be a celebration of life. Over here, Taylor, how could we celebrate him? And here's where I started, right? Jesus said, where I am, there you may be also. That's why I'm bringing this whole thing up. I'm not trying to, you know, draw, drum up emotions with my wife, even though it's a very recent event. Um, but I just wanted to end with this very encouraging thought Though this is a great loss for us on earth, it's a great gain for them because they're with Jesus where he's at because that's what he promised. So we're not like the world that has no hope. We have hope because we have the promise and the backing of that promise by Jesus' resurrected life. As he raised up Lazarus from the dead, he raised himself up from the dead and he promises this same eternal life to any and all that would trust in him. So we know for sure both her mom and her grandma are exactly where Jesus said his servants would be, with him. We know that. I don't know that with this megastar, Taylor, that died, and it's very sad. It's sad that she can't have this sort of like verbal communication, but it's not sad in that she knows that her, that her mom and her grandma, just this last week, both went home her mom passed away shortly after she found out her mom passed away. And I'm just bringing this up because they both died in the same way. They just, they just stopped breathing at the same time at night. I think that's very interesting. It's like her mom said, okay, it's time to go home to be with my brother, my dad, my mom. Um, and so, and it's very, it's very interesting that um, the, her grandma died before her daughter, which we think is kind of a blessing too. Right, But I want to end with this. Um, look at, this is the last few verses. Luke 23. Then Jesus said to the guy on the cross, two, two thieves, one believed, the other one didn't. Jesus said, I promise you today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me, with me in paradise. John 14. Jesus said, don't be troubled, trust in God. It's like you could say, don't, don't have depression, don't have anxiety, don't have fear. Trust in the Lord, trust in Jesus. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back uh, and receive you to myself. And he said, then I will take you with me so that you can be where I am. You can be where I am. Well, how do you get there? Look at this last passage. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You must place your faith 
and the fact that Jesus said, you're a sinner, I will die for your sins, I will rise again three days later and give you this promise that where I am, there you may be also. So in conclusion, I'm going to ask you, do you have this relationship with Jesus? Is he in you? When you die, will you go to be in God's presence throughout all of eternity? Are you going through difficult times as a Christian? Are you running off of fear or faith? It's important not to miss out on church, prayer, and Bible reading to renew your mind. How are we doing with that? How's, how's, the, how's the warfare of the mind going, whether you think you're in one or not? Um, there's a lot going on. Heavenly Father, I just pray if there's someone here that has never uh, entered into that eternal relationship with you by faith, they've never taken that initial step of faith and just said, Jesus, come into my heart. Give me that free gift of life. May they do it today. The quietness of their home. They could do it while they're driving. They could do it here uh, they could do it anywhere. You're, you're ever so eager to give, so freely give what you purchased that we could never earn or buy ourselves. So thank you for making that, that gift available. And Lord, for those of us that have received that gift, um, though we got a new heart, and a new spirit, we didn't get a new mind. So help us, Lord, as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we don't forsake the fellowship together, uh, coming to church, as we do come to church, Lord, as iron sharpens iron, as brothers and sisters encourage one another as the family and kingdom of God, may our minds be renewed and aligned with the truth. And we know the truth is Jesus, uh, but teach us and reveal to us who you are through the body of Christ, which are the believers. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless the rest of our day. Uh, take us home safely, bring us back uh, again safely, and we do pray for those that couldn't be here. In Jesus' name, amen.